Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. A few months ago, I was asleep, and the call of Mom woke me up. I sat up in the darkness and listened, straining to hear it again, but heard nothing. I slowly drew back the covers and walked in the hallway and opened it as quietly as I could and stood still. Every child's door was closed and the bathroom was dark. There wasn't a sound. I went back to bed wondering if I had been dreaming. Had I made up the voice of a child calling me? Did one of them call out mom in their sleep? I've woken up in the middle of the night before, maybe feeling a thump on my chest to sit in the darkness and listen. Is God calling me? Am I supposed to do something? Do you ever wonder if God is calling you? Is he asking you to take a step of faith? That is kind of the situation we find in 1 Samuel 3. Samuel hears his name called in the night, and he runs to his trusted mentor, confusing God's voice for Eli's. Can't we relate to this passage? We hear something in the night, but everything seems muddled and confused. We have so many voices crowding in our heads from friends, on TV, on social media. How can you sift through the noise to hear, to know when God is calling you? This passage can offer some guidance on these questions. But before we can delve into the chapter, we need to first address the context, especially what happens before chapter 3. I have some college girlfriends who are really into the Netflix series, The Crown, about the modern British monarchy. And 1 Samuel is kind of like the series in that it documents the first two kings in Israel's history and their rise to power. And there is a lot of drama. This book comes from that time of the judges when God calls different leaders to guide the Israelites, generally in battle against their enemies. The judges don't descend from a certain bloodline. Instead, the spirit of the Lord falls upon them and enables them to lead the people. So Samuel is a transition between when Israel's being ruled by judges and when Israel's being ruled by kings. It is a time where everyone does as he sees fit in his own eyes. Relative morality gone amok, not unlike our own time. In the first chapter of 1 Samuel, we are introduced to Elkanah, a faithful man who sacrifices every year to the Lord at Shiloh. He has two wives, Penina, who has children, and Hannah, who struggles with infertility. Hannah prays to the Lord and promises to give her first child back to serve the Lord if he opens her womb. And that is precisely what happens. She gives birth to Samuel, and when he is about three, she brings him back to the temple where Eli is the priest and says to him, For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. In contrast to this faithful woman, Hannah, and her song of praise to God in the beginning of chapter 2, we then meet Eli's disgraceful sons, who, though they serve as priests, scriptures say they did not know the Lord. The sons steal from the sacrifices made at the temple and sleep with the women serving at the tent of the meeting, an action that makes them no better than the pagan cultures surrounding them. Eli rebukes his son, stating, If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him, 
But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But his sons keep sinning, and the Lord sends a prophet to Eli, who declares that his sons will die on the same day the lion of priests will be taken away from Eli, and the Lord will raise up a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. This verse hints to the audience that Samuel is the one God will raise up. So go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 3. And you'll see that this contrast continues between Eli and Samuel. Notice that the first verse tells us the word of the Lord was rare in those days. This statement sets up the passage and frames it from beginning to end. So if you look at the last few verses where the word of the Lord regularly comes to Samuel. So the author is flagging this next scene as a contrast to what was typical at the time. So the scene is set. It's early morning. That's why the lamp had not gone out yet. Eli is old and his vision is bad and Samuel is asleep in the temple so he can attend to both Eli and the temple's needs. Eli's failing vision could signify more than just old age. The author could use his lack of vision to highlight Eli's failing to keep the Lord at the center of his vision. Blindness throughout the Bible can indicate a lack of spiritual vision. We see this even in the New Testament when Jesus heals the blind. Being able to see implies spiritual discernment. We could also imply that Eli's slowness to figure out what is going on, it takes him three times to figure out that the Lord is the one calling Samuel, shows his loss of insight into the ways of the Lord. But as a parent who has been awakened in the middle of the night by a little person breathing quietly next to my bed, (laughs) I'm willing to give Eli some grace. My children have learned early on that my side is not the side you come to if you have a nightmare. If you want snuggles, go to daddy. If you want to scream, go wake up mom. Also, Samuel is not waking Eli quietly. This Hebrew word that is translated, here I am, is one of my favorites. Hine is often translated look or behold, and many times is an author's way of emphasizing what happens next. So Samuel is not just gently rousing Eli from sleep, but he's kind of running. He's always running in this passage, and he's kind of yelling, look, I'm here with jazz hands. So if one of my kids woke me up that way, I think I would respond a little stronger than Eli did, which he says, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. So can we blame Eli that it's not until the third time that he figures out that the Lord is the one calling Samuel? The narrator here in verse 7 also explains why Samuel couldn't discern the voice of Eli from the voice of God. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So maybe the Lord is calling you, but you don't know how to discern his voice yet. So Eli coaches Samuel how to respond the next time the Lord calls him. He is to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. There are a couple Hebrew verbs, words here I would like to focus on. One is avad, which is the word for servant, and it's stronger than our notion of servant and implies complete submission to the Lord. The Hebrew word translated here as listen is shema, and it can be translated hear or obey. This is the same verb that begins the Lord's call to Israel to hear, listen, and obey his commands. Shema, Shema, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And this command is written on the walls of Temple Emmanuel, if you ever go visit. 
Also, Shema relates to Samuel's name, which in Hebrew sounds like Shemuel, or the one who listens to God. El being a shortened version of Elohim or God. So there are a couple things emphasized here. Both complete submission to God's call and a promise to hear and to obey. So what we read here is what comes to be known as a call narrative, where someone receives a message from the Lord to come to faith or to perform a task. And when I read one, I think about other passages where God calls people to faith and obedience to him. The call of Abraham to leave his home and go to the land God promised. Moses and the burning bush. Isaiah's call in the temple, here I am, send me. Gabriel's appearance to Mary. Jesus' call to Andrew and John, come and see. We heard one in the gospel this morning where God uses Andrew's plea to Nathaniel to come and see, to bring him face to face with Jesus. And of course, I can't think about these calls without thinking of my own call to faith. So when I was about 13, my mother announced that she was divorcing our father. Um, and that year, God threw me a lifeline and called me to faith in him. I had a Sunday school teacher named Mac. He was probably in his late 40s. And he talked about Jesus in a way I had never heard before. I was baptized as an infant and raised going to the Episcopal Church. So through the liturgy, I had some grasp of God's sacrificial love for me, but not in the way Mac talked about it. So one day he came in and said he had a friend who had cancer and he wanted us to pray for him. And I remember praying that afternoon and this overwhelming sense of peace came over me, and I knew in my heart that this man was going to be okay. And a few months later, Matt came back and said, this man, in fact, had been healed. There was no cancer, and the doctors couldn't explain it. So I'm not so egotistical as to think that my prayer was what healed this man, but it opened my eyes to a God who listened to me, that he actually heard and answered my prayer. So through that spring, as my parents were separated and divorced, I was filled with anger and bitterness. I was angry at my mom for asking for the divorce, and I was angry at my dad for not seeming to try very hard. And I was crushed that I had to move two states away and leave all my friends. That summer, I went with my dad and siblings to a church called St. Andrews by the Sea in Dustin, Florida. As soon as I entered the sanctuary, I could sense the Holy Spirit, and I cried through most of the service. When I knelt at the altar to receive communion, a man from the choir knelt next to me and asked if he could pray for me. I really don't even remember what he prayed, except that he thanked God for me, and he said that he could see Jesus in me. In me, in hurt, bitter, angry me. Those words had a transforming effect on me and opened my heart to Jesus. Later that afternoon, as I watched the waves roll in and crash on the shore, I felt that same sense of peace that passes all understanding, and I knew that God was going to take care of me, and I knew I was going to be okay. So I share my story with you to show that each call looks a little different. Mine doesn't look like any of the calls in the Bible, and yet each call is the same because God woos us to himself using circumstances, nature, other people to call us to himself. I share my story with you if you are a kid whose parents are getting divorced 
and you feel like I did. I share it with you if you are someone who has prayed with a stranger or worked with young people at youth group. You don't really know what effect you have on others' lives. And what if Mac had said no to teaching my class? What if the man in the choir hadn't offered to pray with me? What if I'd told him to go away? Since then, I've been called to serve God in other ways. I joke that my patron saint is Jonah because I drag my feet and I often run in the opposite direction that God calls me. Sometimes it can be hard and confusing to discern God's call and what he wants us to do. I think 1 Samuel 3 also has some insights into these questions too. So starting in verse 10, Samuel hears the Lord call him again, and this time the Lord came and stood. And Samuel responds as Eli coached him to, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The Lord tells him that his judgment will fall on Eli's sons and his house forever. Remember that hine word we talked about earlier? It's here again in verse 11, where the Lord says, Behold. He says he will make good on what the other prophet has told Eli. I want to note here that this idea that their sin cannot be forgiven is not evidence that God was less merciful in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. God is always God, and his justice is never in question. But because these sons have stolen from the Lord from the offerings and sacrifices, their actions have rendered the sacrifices null and void. They are meaningless because Eli's sons offered them only for their own personal benefit, not as an offering to the Lord. They refuse to repent and ask for forgiveness. In the morning, Samuel goes about his business as usual. You can almost sense his hope that Eli will forget all the commotion of the night and not ask him about what the Lord has said. He was afraid, but Eli would not let him wriggle out of it. He calls him and Samuel responds as he did in the night. He me, maybe with less enthusiasm. Eli can tell that Samuel is reluctant, so he threatens him. Samuel spills it all and Eli responds, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. Now at first this seems like a pretty gracious response considering that Samuel confirms what the prophet in chapter two told Eli, that his sons will die and Eli's house will be punished forever. He seems resigned to God's judgment and still accepts God's sovereignty. But part of me also wonders, should he not have fallen to his knees and begged God for forgiveness? Shouldn't he have repented and accepted responsibility for his son's behavior? How do you respond when the Lord rebukes you? I'll admit that I'm often angry at the person exhorting me to better behavior. Sometimes I'm angry at God for revealing my sin. But when the Lord really strikes you to the quick, when the Holy Spirit reveals an area of sin, the best response is humility, submission, and repentance. So is there an area in your life where you need to repent? Has the Lord used a trusted friend to reveal an area where you need to ask for forgiveness? And that brings me to another question. How do you discern between the voice of God and your own voice or someone else's? As in Samuel's case, it's hard to discern, to know if it's God's voice you are hearing or just your own ambitions. Several years ago, my friend Catherine asked me to read Priscilla Shire's book, Discerning the Voice of God, How to Recognize When God is Speaking. 
we had our own little Bible study, just the two of us, and we would pick different books to read together. In the book, Shire interviews mature Christians and asks them how they know when God is speaking to them. I was so annoyed after reading 200 pages because I wanted a formula. And what Shire recommends is more time in prayer and reading God's word. Because the more you are familiar with God's word through scripture and prayer, the better you are at discerning God's voice and direction. Not only is that annoyingly logical, but it also means I have to participate. I have to do some work myself. So there are a few things in this passage that give us some guidance similar to Shire's. First, notice Samuel's proximity to the Ark of the Covenant. In verse 3, you read that Samuel is sleeping in the temple of the Lord where the Ark of God was. So the Ark of God was his resting place. It was essentially an outward, visible expression of God's dwelling with his people. So Samuel is physically close to the presence of God. Secondly, when Samuel doesn't recognize God's voice, he runs to a trusted, more mature believer. In part, this is a case of mistaken identity. Who else but Eli would call him in the middle of the night? But Eli's maturity in serving the Lord gives him insight that Samuel doesn't have, and Eli gives him good advice. More importantly, Samuel obeys the good advice. Thirdly, the word that the Lord gives him matches the word that Eli already received. This is important, especially when someone tells you that the Lord has called them to do something that contradicts scripture. The Lord will never call you to do something that contradicts his word. The message that the Lord gives Samuel is also something that Samuel would never make up on his own. Sometimes that's how I know if the Lord is speaking to me and not my own conscience. If they are words that conform to scripture, but are also not words I would think to say to myself. So for example, I took a day off in the last year to spend some time in solitude. I like to go up to St. Francis Prayer Center and spend the day alone. And it's usually a really rich time for me. And the Lord speaks to me usually through scripture and it's really encouraging. And that day I felt like the Lord was giving me things, mostly scripture verses for other people. I got very frustrated by the end of the day and I cried out, why aren't you giving me a word? Why are you giving me things for other people? And I felt like the Lord said, because you are my servant. And then I felt like a scolded bratty child, but also encouraged to submit in my role as a servant. The Lord calling me his servant also relates to this passage. The prophet Samuel is God's servant. Being the Lord's servant is the call on each of us. That's why we end our service often with, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. So the Lord was just reminding me what my job description is, my need to submit to him, and that it isn't all about me. What I heard from the Lord was something that conformed to scripture and is not something I would have said to myself. So if we are looking at this passage as a litmus test for ourselves, are you and I doing these things? Am I training myself to hear God's word? God's voice through all the noise around me? Am I reading scripture often? Am I praying for my own needs and those of others? Do I spend time quietly listening? I'm usually practicing one of these things, but rarely all three. And I do feel like God is calling me to spend more time and energy doing these things so I can hear him better. What do I do when I don't understand scripture? Do I have a trusted, more mature Christian mentor with whom I can speak? 
Have I cultivated relationships with other Christians who can pray for me, pray with me and help me discern God's voice, his call for me? Samuel and Eli ministered to each other. God used other people to call me to faith, and he gave me Bible verses to encourage others. We need each other to learn to hear God's voice. Does what I feel like God is calling me to do line up with scripture? Does it sound like something God would say? Or does it sound like something I wish God would say? Is it something I've heard more than once? If you are like Samuel and me, God may have to call you multiple times before you recognize his voice. More importantly, how do you respond when God calls you to his service? Do you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening? As you listen, do you obey? Please pray with me. Father, we long to hear your voice. We long for your direction and guidance. Please help us to listen well, to train our ears to hear your voice. And Lord, when you do call us to serve you, help us to say, like Samuel, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Amen.